Welcome to the Mum Safe Movement podcast. I'm your host, Jen Dugard. I'm so excited that you're here and now part of this very important movement for change in the way mums are looked after in the fitness industry. In 2020, 4.35 million women used our gyms and fitness facilities in comparison to 3.5 million men. Further to this, in 2016, the ABS reported that 77% of women over the age of 15 in Australia would become mothers. This is 3.35 million mothers or 42.7% of a personal trainer's potential clientele. Yet our fitness certificates don't teach us enough and mums themselves receive very little, if any, education about how to move safely and effectively. I am here to change that. This podcast is an accumulation of over 16 years in the fitness industry, a decade working face-to-face with mums themselves and teaching thousands of trainers in my Safe Return to Exercise certification. And most recently, bringing mums and trainers together around the MumSafe brand. This podcast is the next step into raising our voices and bringing mums and the trainers that work with them into the arena to achieve our mission of safe and effective exercise for women at every stage of motherhood. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Mum Safe Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Dugard, and today I'm very excited about my guest. We're going to be talking all things money. Now, I know that's a little bit scary for some people, but I'm bringing to you a very wonderful human who's going to help you to start to figure out all the things that you don't want to face. So today we're going to be talking to Mel Brown. Mel is an ex-accountant and ex-financial advisor. She's a financial educator and business strategist. She's a best-selling author accidental entrepreneur and believes in building a life by design. She's also a shoe and chocolate addict. Her passion is to help women particularly move from where they are now to a place they didn't even believe is possible. I was felt so passionately about bringing financial education to you in this podcast because I truly believe that until you start to get that right or until you create financial awareness, you cannot build a business that has the potential to have the impact in your community and on your whole life as you are truly capable of. So in this conversation, we talk about all things from superannuation, we talk about profit, we talk about GST, we talk about who should be splitting the childcare costs when you're feeling like your business is a bit of a hobby and you want to move it to the next level and you feel like you've got to justify that spend. Um, we talk about all sorts of things that I know that you're going to find helpful. Let's get into today's episode. Mel, I'm so excited to have you with us. How are you today? Um, I'm okay. Thank you so much for having me. I'm hoping my voice uh, lasts. I'm sure it will. And if you need yeah. to stop and, and cough, then that's absolutely okay. Oh, I good. think there's a lot of, there'll be a lot of mugs <laughs> listening, obviously, and they can totally relate to winter. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, we start every episode of the Mum Safe Movement podcast with a word, a win, and a working on. Now, with the word, if you've had a shit fight of a day, you do not have to show up with positivity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my word would definitely be tired. I um, said to Lawsy this morning, who I work with, whenever you're sick, I feel like you just need, especially when it's been a long sickness like this has been, I feel like you need a week off just to recover so yeah I'm tired today cool 
So that's my word. What's the next one? My win. A um, win. What would a win be? It's a great question. I feel like it's it's always easier to say what's tough than what your win is. So true. Mm. Uh, probably, well, we just kicked over to a financial year and I had a really brief look at my revenue and I took my eyes off it a bit this year and didn't have a target for it and I was pleasantly surprised. So I'll say that's a win. Um, nice. And what was the third one? Tell Something my that you're working here. on. Oh, so Lawsley and I are madly working on our next launch. So we're lo- working on lead generations that we think people will find really helpful. Like, for example, one of the ones we're working on today is using ChatGP, uh, ChatGPT to save 20% on your food budget and give you recipes oh. and the whole shebang. So that's yeah, cool. We've got I did that really in my cool life. Ones. Yeah, interesting. When it's done, I'll let you know. Yeah, that'd be great. And with ChatGPT, actually, I saw someone post something about managing, like doing better with their finances using ChatGPT. Oh, and you had yeah. to, like, it's say, amazing. you know, what money you wanted to save, maybe what your income was. And I was like, but do I want to give that much information to ChatGPT, which made me question? Yeah, I have to confess, I don't know that I would be telling it what I owe and what I own and my income and the rest of it. Although having said that, that's very generic information that a lot of people could figure out. True. What I absolutely would not be doing is saying, here's my BSPN account number and my credit <laughs> card number and all of those personal information. Maybe just yeah. not that. Maybe not that, Definitely. Cool. So Mel, this podcast is for trainers that work with mums within their fitness business and also for mums themselves. So throughout this conversation, what I'd really like to do is, you know, it is more business focused, but I know that you've got a lot, a wealth of knowledge that can support any person um, wanting to do better in their finances. Mm, so we'll ask businesses. a few questions and yeah. their businesses. Absolutely. But would you be able to share a little bit about your journey and how you got to do what you do today? Yeah, so if you asked me when I was a teenager where I would be at today, this is so not the position. I thought probably by now I'd my my kids would be grown up and I would have been a lawyer for all of this time. And um, I'm today I am purposefully child free, so I'm always uh, when I'm talking to mums, I'm always with that mindset of I am so I love that we all have choice now. Um, around family and around lives and blending and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I, my story is, well, that's what my expectation was because I lived in the Western suburbs and that's all I saw growing up. So I thought uh, that that's the path that everyone went down. Um, and it wasn't until my late 20s that I realised uh, I didn't want kids. The marriage that I was in was so toxic uh, and unhappy and I didn't know that I liked what I was doing either. So I had gone from being a lawyer to being an accountant because I hated the law aspect of it. It wasn't as glamorous as it looked on TV. Uh, so I took a year to decide what I wanted to do. And during that time, during that marriage breakdown, uh, my ex-husband said to me uh, that he didn't think I'd ever make it on my own. And I am super competitive and I am also very rash and I have the tendency to be very rash. So I took every cent in my business and personal bank account and all of the divorce proceeds. He bought a Porsche. I gave it all to Opportunity International uh, so that he could never say that any of my success from then on equated to him. Wow. Uh, and I tell the story that I wanted to ring Opportunity International the next day and say, <laughs> I have that money back. <laughs> 
I'm the charity. And I've had women say to me, that's such a boss move what you did. It was so not a boss move. It was stupid. And it meant that for the next few years I had to move into a frat house with five friends into a mouldy little basement at a, a bedroom. And I remember lying there with all my stuff, which filled that room going, this is not where I imagined that I would be in my mid-30s. You know, comparing myself to friends who just started having kids and owned their own home. And I felt like such a fraud and such a failure because I was an accountant. You know, I was supposed to be able to do money. Um, and I, I grew up with that expectation that you don't, a very fundamental religious household where you do not get divorced. Mm. So it was really, it was a really tough uh, time in my life. But I, f- through that, I realized that I didn't want, it was, accounting was a conduit. What I really loved was helping people grow their businesses and grow their wealth. And I loved helping women particularly do that. So that's the thing that I've done consistently since then and do and through doing that I've also taught myself how to grow my own wealth uh, to the point where in my 40s I had the choice to work or not and it really was only when uh, my husband a couple of years ago when we both sold our businesses Mm pre-COVID and he I thought excellent this is our next stage we're going to go live overseas for three months and kind of look at what's next and then COVID hit and he decided through COVID that he actually wanted to keep going. He wanted to keep working and working with sporting teams. Um, And he works with Jess Fox and went to the Tokyo Olympics with her, which was an incredible moment. But I was there going, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to twiddle my thumbs and I'm not a stay at home and wait for my man person. So I started to create a course and realise I love, like this next transition for me, is helping women and their families grow their wealth, learn about all those money stories and those money lessons that we never got taught at school, mm. how to create your own financial plan, how to invest and do it for yourself, no matter the position that you're in. Uh, so I've been doing that for the last three years. I've had almost 3,000 people go through my programs and I love it. I, I love that I've kind of discovered quite accidentally that thing that I can do anywhere and totally lights me up and creates such an impact. Yeah, I love that story, Mel. Like I think, one, it shows your personality and just like I'm just going to do this thing and make it mad. But (laughs) also when you say that, like in your 30s, a lot of people, I mean 30s now, once you're beyond 30, 30 isn't old, but once Mm. A lot of people kind of must think that you've been doing this since, you know, you you hear of the people that bought their first house when they were 18 or they did, Mm -hmm. and maybe you did that within your marriage, I'm not sure. But starting again is really important for women to understand that you can do that at any point. And you can do it at any age. Uh, And we've had women through our program where COVID really ripped apart a lot of couples. It Mm. really quickened, though, that uncoupling. So we've had women in their 50s join and realise that, oh, I have to face my finances for the first time perhaps, and actually this is doable. I, you know, we're all going to be living a lot longer, uh, God willing, and and it's making sure that we have choice no matter the age and circumstance we're in. Yeah, yeah, I like it. And I think the eyes wide open philosophy towards finances 
is so important. Like I have trainers all the time that come in and they're like, oh yeah, kind of I'm doing this thing and I, I don't really know how much money I'm taking home. And, or I can think of one woman, especially that was single mom, huge financial stress, knew that she needed to do something, which is why she came into mom safe, but mm. did not want to face the numbers on a page. And it's been a process and, and I've spent a lot of time with, and I'm not a money expert, but I have messed it up. Look, I spent two years of my, when I was running my fitness business, my business was turning over about $200,000. And at the end of the year, my personal tax return was $14,000. Oh yeah. So mm -hmm. I know from an amateur perspective, how not to do it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so but I guess, oh, go on. I love that story that you just told though, because I find it really intriguing that I betcha uh, that person that came to you from the fitness business if you said to them, when you train someone next, you can't know any of their details. We don't want you to face their numbers and what their goals are. They'd go, but I can't train someone that way. And yet yep. they're essentially doing that for their business. So it's just, it's real. And I find that bias and that unconscious bias so interesting where in your business and in your line of work with the people that you work with, they need to know all the numbers. And yeah. it's really just applying that same lens to their own businesses and finances. It is. And we find there's a lot of, um, I think the problem is that people in fitness are so passionate about what they do. Yep. They almost don't care if they're not earning what they should be earning or what they yes. could be earning. Yeah, I get that. I get that. And it's really important for them to understand they're not charities. If they're yes. set up as that, fantastic, but they're not charities. Absolutely. Yep. So on that, if you've got some, let's say the, the person in front of us is just starting to run their own fitness business and doesn't know where to start when it comes to their business finances, what would you, what, I guess, what advice or what things would they need to put in place to get on top from the get-go? So I would want to make sure that you were, had access to your numbers from the get-go. So that would be uh, making sure you had a great accounting solution like Zero or Quicken or there's so many versions out there and a great accountant because if you you want that relationship from the start uh, of understanding the taxes I need to put aside, when I need to register for the next level um, and how to find the reports that I need mm. so that you're not just focused on the $200,000 that you're making, you're also focused on the $14,000. The $14, that you're not making. So that's really important. So that would be one. The second thing I think it's really important to understand is where do you sit in the marketplace? Uh, what's your niche? Mm. What's the value that you bring and how are you going to price that? Because too many people are starting businesses to solve a need but not thinking about, well, do I want to be the McDonald's or the Louis Vuitton or the, uh, you know, what? where do I sit in the marketplace? And therefore, how am I going to price appropriately? Because if you're just valuing you or if you're just trying to figure out, well, I know where everyone sits pricing-wise and I'll just price somewhere in the middle, that's not necessarily going to be appropriate for what you want. Um, so figuring out your pricing is really important. But three, it's also figuring out what do you want to make out of your business? So mm -hmm. I think you need to work it back and go, right, if I want to make 50 grand a year in the hand and my and I need to and my costs are roughly 50, then I have to make 100k. Great. Well, if I'm charging out my time at 100 bucks a throw, then that means that I need a thousand uh, sessions every year. 
I can break that down to every week. You know, we need to be able to break this down so that we then know, okay, I now know uh, the, the numbers that I need to attack. So therefore, what's my marketing plan? What's my leads? What my conversion? So it really comes down to the numbers. In the same way, if you're working with someone, you'd need to understand potentially their BMI and their weight and their targets. You've got to figure that out for yourself as well. I love that you said that. A lot of people say to me, what shall I charge? And I'm like, well, we're Mm. lucky because we're sitting in the specialized mum space. So it's always, well, you're going to charge more than the people around you, but how much do you want to earn per week and how much do you want to work and then Uh figure out how much you want to charge? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many ways to do that as well. And you know, yes, you might do some one-on-one. Yes, you might do some uh, online. Yes, you might be selling programs. It's figuring out, I don't just have to do it with one thing. I Mm -hmm. might build up the one thing first, but in the same way that I'm a real advocate for multiple streams of income personally, we want to have multiple streams of income on our businesses as well. And we saw gyms and personal trainers race to do that when COVID hit, but it's doing that when times are good as well. Yeah. Having so that that diversity. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're in times of interest rate rises and inflation. One of the first things people can get rid of that seems like a luxury are their trainers. But if they're, if we're offering options, then that might be something that I'm not, not just saying yes or no to it's, Oh, mm-hmm. actually I can't afford you, but I can afford this version of you. Um, great. I'll at least start with that. Yeah, that's interesting too because I've I've been kind of because I support a lot of trainers. I've been going if people are leaving because they can't afford what you're delivering now. How do we change the offering without devaluing ourselves? Yeah, what would you how how, how would you solve that? Would you and that's not necessarily online because I think that mm. there's yes, there's the online space and we can do one to many really easily online. Mm. Yeah, what what would you, what's your instinct when it comes to that? Well, personally, what I'm looking for, and my husband always laughs because he's a physiotherapist and he just doesn't understand why people pay and uh, for training and why they can't just solve it for himself, themselves. And I always <laughs> explain to him, you know, I used to do play state league netball. I know how to get myself fit for state league netball. I don't know how to just be life fit. Um, and he he doesn't really get that. So I personally... I get him to set me programs that I can then just go away and enact, but I want the program written for me. And so I would pay for that any day of the week, which I presume is going to be a cheaper version than if you come and do it with me. Absolutely. Um, So at the very least to have uh, personalized programs, but also programs that I can just pay uh, for that will, will get me at maybe six different, yeah, uh, things and uh, that I can just grab and maybe pay four or five bucks for without even thinking. So I think we need to have a funnel, yeah, uh, of things where it might be here's the suite uh, of things, but then here's the lesser version and another lesser and another lesser. So people can then enter and be able to do business with you at their price point. But if you're the Louis Vuitton of that, you might not. For you, it might just be it's me. And that's it. Mm. Uh, and and this is what it is. But for someone else, they might have the funnel. It's figuring out your niche and how you're going to charge. Yeah, and it's interesting when you talk about being the Louis Vuitton, 
is your market actually affected by what's going on in the world right now exactly. anyway? Because it's really important that we don't just assume no one can pay for what we're, what we're, de- we're delivering. Absolutely. And I, that's such a great point because people are, there was a NAB survey done, uh, the, the, the results came out this uh, last week, week before, and it was people are still spending money. Mm-hmm. They're just researching and they're choosing to spend it strategically. So they're cutting back on holidays. They're even cutting back on coffees at the moment and lunches and eating out the research was showing, but they're also spending according to their values. They're just being more purposeful. Yeah. So it's making sure that you're there to catch that spend because you've attributed the value. And, you know, you might, if, if you're talking to customers and clients, you might say, instead of coming weekly, you might come fortnightly. So you, there's so many ways to show how to save, but it, it, you're right. It's, pre, it's presuming that people mm. might be happy not to, because if you could equate the cost of not spending with you, so it might be, yes, you could choose not to, but the flip side of that is higher stress, uh, potentially more money spent on sickness and doctors and who knows what. So the opportunity cost of not doing it, that's what I would want to talk about as well. I love that. And I, I'm just picturing your Instagram now with all the different, especially where we'll sort of talk about superannuation in, in a minute, but challenge mm. to anyone listening, if you can come up with some kind of infographic that is the opportunity cost, make sure you tag yeah. me and mail in that because I'd be excited to see that. <laughs> Definitely. I know Tim Ferriss talked about this, uh, where he was talking about his elderly parents and he was talking about what he was happy to be frugal on and what he was going to overspend on. Yeah. And he said that he will always, so his thing with his parents was he overspent on personal training for them and gym membership because he worked out early on that that saved him money on the cost of their care when they were strong. Wow. So that opportunity cost infographic, I mean, and that's Tim Ferriss's language. Uh, who's the four-hour work week on something he discovered. So, yeah. you know, if you've got elderly parents and you feel like you're the sandwich generation, hey, this might be a way to actually alleviate some of that cost. I love that. I love it. I like it. Okay, you, you talked, Mel, before. I heard you talk about key metrics. Mm. What are the key metrics that all our fitness business owners need to make sure that they're on top of all of the time? So there are so many that you could follow, uh, but The ones that I think if you're wanting to grow your business and you're a new business, leads and conversion rates have got to be two things that you're all over. So chasing those leads and then understanding what you're converting because you might be getting a stack of leads but you're not converting them either Mm -hmm. because they're the wrong leads or it might just be that you your conversion is 20%. So you just need a bucket at that full bucket full of leads. So leads and conversion rates are two. And then for any business more than six months old, retention rate is massive. I see far too many businesses concentrating on new people in the door and not on loving the existing ones that you've got and continuing to ask the question, what else do they want? What else do they want? Uh, Next uh, one is your average sale price. So understanding how, how much does the average person spend with me in a year? Because you might be surprised at what that figure is and people that you were, you were kind of discounting or thinking, oh, they're not worth it. You go, oh, wow, they're really worth it mm-hmm. if I look at their lifetime value or if I look at their average sale. Um, and then looking at ways to increase that. And then, fi- and then things like your net profit and then your cash flow. 
because it's one thing to get at sales, but it's another thing entirely to actually be paid. Um, and if yes. you're not getting paid, then that's problematic. Yeah. And what do you think about um, personal trainers that take cash payments? What do they Ugh. need to be aware of in the future? <laughs> so take cash payments and then bank them. So that would be a So start. then you've got to pay tax on them, right? Exactly. So I get told all the time, oh, my gosh, it's not worth it because then I have to pay tax. It's not worth it if you don't pay tax because you can't build wealth. You can't put it into super. The only thing you can do with cash is you can eat it and poop it out. You can't spend it on travel. <laughs> You can't buy uh, clothes and then post it. Like eating it and pooping it, it's the only two things you can do. And it's just not worth it. Um, for me, I would rather pay the tax any day of the week and wealth. Like what a wonderful problem to sit down yeah. and go, should I put more, more money into super? Should I uh, donate? If I don't want to pay tax, donate it. Like there's so many things I can do. Do I negatively gear investments? I can solve the problem of minimising your tax, but you got to have the, the profit to be able to deal with that problem in the first place. Yeah, I like that. And um, I remember when Ben and I, we went to get a mortgage for the first time and I oh. had realised that I needed to start banking my cash. I was in my early 20s at the time, so I'd give myself a little bit of a break. But yeah. it's like three years before they recognise anything, right? It's generally two now okay. um, and certainly there are some banks that will only look at one year but usually what you're going to pay is a high. If they're harder loans to get and you'll often pay the low-doc loans or one-year loans, you'll often pay a higher rate of interest. So there's a cost to that cash. Uh, so for me it's always better to put it through and then have a great accountant that can help you with a plan for it versus not at just and when you get the cash you tend to overspend it anyway I've got a mate who still gets a little bit of cash in and he just wastes it because it's like yeah. oh free money I'm like no dude it's not <laughs> thank it let's create a plan for it I the free money thing I used to find $50 notes in clothes that have been through the wash mm. and it was like it was cool because it's like wow $50 but on the flip side it's like how fucking irresponsible to yeah. just not care where my money's going because I feel like I'm getting more. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, if worst case, you can just spend 15 cents in the dollar and put it into super. If you hate tax that much, that's a way that you'll pay very, very small amount of, of tax. Let's talk about super then because I know that, again, let's talk about it from a small business owner because, again, even if they are paying tax, they're not paying super. Um, yes. So how do we sort that out? And someone did ask a question when I popped it in the group for you about best super funds. So... Yeah, sure. Yep. So I'm a fan uh, of paying the super as if you had gone and got a job. So if you could be hired by a gym tomorrow and be paid 70, 80 grand, I would want you to pay super as if you were earning that much. Because um, the opportunity cost of you not doing that, what I, when I speak to mums that have their own business, often they feel it's selfish to pay super. But I'm here to say, that it's like putting the oxygen mask on on a plane. It mm -hmm. is not selfish. Um, and too many people will argue with me, yes, but I get his super if something was to happen. And again, not necessarily. Way too often I see women go, you know what, it's not worth it. Or you get the house, you get the super. And there is a reckoning where you too many women uh, miss out. So one, if you're having a super break, talk to your partner and say, great, how can we make sure that we're splitting the cost of this super and contributing to my super. 
but two, you ultimately want to pay super as if you went out and got a job. And to and to really say to yourself, it's not selfish, I'm doing this because I'm putting on my own oxygen mask. And pay it regularly, you know, pay it fortnightly or monthly or quarterly so that and make it automated so that you just don't miss it. Mm. Um, and as to what fun, the answer is it depends. So if you were really into uh, ethical as uh, investing, you might look at ethical super or verve super. If you really didn't care and it was just about fees, you might look at an industry fund. If you wanted both, if you cared and you cared about fees, you might look at an industry fund with an ethical portfolio. Um, but there are comparison websites like Canstar that will help you to compare uh, different super funds so you can compare fees and how to invest. Yep. Awesome. Mel, what um, I heard you say then, a taking a super break, so that would generally apply to women having babies and not, not working. What's the cost of that? So it's really interesting. So it's both having babies and also having our own business because too often when we go into business, we don't pay super for ourselves. So I did some research and uh, if we look at the average wage, which at the time was about 70 grand, the average career gap, which if you have two kids, it's often about five years. Mm -hmm. What most people consider is the salary costs they don't consider. So often it would be a couple sitting in before me and they said, oh, childcare's not worth it. It's 50% of her wage. At which I'm glad you're going to say this because this is my next question. Oh, so good. <laughs> and I would almost always oh. say, I didn't understand. I didn't realise it was only her having the child. I thought it was both of you. What percentages of, of it is childcare of both of your wage? At which point they could never tell me, never, because mm -hmm. they never thought to consider it. So that would be one. And then I would say, and also you've considered the super, haven't you? And they never, ever had. So the super is not just the 70 grand. Oh, no, the super is generally about 36 grand on at that 70 grand wage over the five years. But what we forget is the compounding nature of that. So if I let that compound for 30 years, that then is worth about $700,000. Mm. And that's the nasty piece that people are forgetting. So if you are about to go into um, a career break, if you're in a career break or if you're out of it, it's just about being aware of that and choosing to have conversations with your partner. Because um, whether or not you choose to stop working or not, I'm all for choice. But it's understanding the financial implications of that and talking to your partner and saying, how can we make sure we catch that up? And a really easy way to do that is to say to your partner during that time, I want you to split your super with me. And most people don't know you can do that. And if your partner goes, well, why would I do that? You can, it, you get it if it if something was to happen to you. I, that for me is so not, ex, not an acceptable argument. Mm. And it, that would be like saying, well, that's fine. But that would be like saying, well, if you earn all the money, you would own, uh, you would have the bank account in your name and only and make all the decisions and dole out the money to me only if something happens to you, which is financial abuse. And that's not what you want for me, is yep. it? Um, yep. So it's just being prepared to have those awkward conversations. Yeah, I, I particularly like the, the childcare element because mm. I have a lot of conversations with often mums move into the working with mum space when they have 
a baby. So they they were maybe a personal trainer beforehand. They have a baby, then they they choose to become a personal trainer that wants to work with mums. But they're sitting in that either maternity leave or, um, you know, I I can't start my business because. I can't afford the childcare and it's like, it's the, I, I, I can't afford the childcare. And I love you turning both the super and the childcare costs on their head because it's like, this was a, this is a partnership surely. Exactly. And I would say childcare, if you really wanted to build that business, childcare is simply a cost of doing business for you. Mm -hmm. So if it was going to take you three years to get to that hundred K and you just said, oh, childcare is not worth it. I'm going to wait to start it. And just say childcare might cost you 25, 30 grand a year for three years. The opportunity cost of not doing that means it's just another three years then till you build that business, in which time competitor could have moved in, someone else could have grabbed that space. Like it's just, for me, uh, the argument around it's not worth it is such a poor argument. Mm. If you If you want your kids at home with you, perfect. But if arguing that it's not worth it, for me, that's such, um, I think it's a lazy argument. I think, um, yeah, women, mums are really good at putting glass ceilings on themselves. So the other one that I hear is it being a hobby business. And yes. it's like, that's fine. And to, to be quite honest, like the, the when I first started Body Beyond Baby, which was my first business, business which was group exercise for mums, that I knew that the first three to four years of that business were for me to be able to start to build a foundation layer for the business not to cost me any money in terms of paying the childcare costs. But if mm. I didn't start it then, I wouldn't be able to build on it. So at no point was it a hobby. It was a, a thought out process that I was going through at that in that season of life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also looking at it and going, I I only want to equate 15 hours to it. So maybe that's two days of childcare, but sitting down and doing that process that I talked about earlier. Okay, well, if childcare costs me X amount and I want to make more than that, then mm-hmm. how much do I need to charge? What's How many bodies do I need in? Like working it back so that you can you can even if you need to take that to your partner to go, this is my plan. This is why I want to pay for childcare because this is what, uh, this is how much it's going to pay. Might take me 12 months or 18 months, but this is, this is what I want to build. Mm. Um, and it's, I think it's understanding that you're worth it. That, and I think too many women and mums have that put everyone else first and me last, because that's part of being a mum. Um, but it's also that I'm not worth it personally mm. and realising that actually you are and to ask for this. Yeah, there's so many, when you start talking about self-worth, there's so many layers oh. in, you know, even I, my head then goes out of the financial space into the postpartum weight loss space where so many women are trying to lose weight because they think it'll, um, you know, reinforce their self-worth or be able to get that externally. So mums mm-hmm. especially are already fighting this battle of worth inside them and then to add in, you know, ask, feeling like you have to ask for money, feeling like you have to ask permission to do things, which yeah. then if you start to turn it around, the sooner that they start to do these things, the sooner they'll realise that that's got nothing to do with their self-worth and they get to build their sense of self-worth through implementing the right things within their finances. 
Absolutely. And I I see uh, that not enoughness is mm. being such a, a stumbling block for so many women in so many areas of life because money's not in a silo, as you said. It's also how you feel about yourself physically. It's also, you know, it's so many, it's our relationships. It's so many different parts of our life. And if we can address that and start to heal from that, then all of those different parts of your life are going to be influenced and strengthened. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, um, GST, that's another glass mm. ceiling that um, fitness businesses like to put on themselves. So uh-huh. talk to me about um, we've just just reached the end of the financial year. Um, somebody, maybe they earned $60,000 last year. They're going, I don't really want to earn pay GST. I'm like, well, one, get over it. But yeah. once they manage to get over it, what do they need to put in place to make sure that they're not caught out at the end of the next financial year? So that's why you want to keep an eye on your numbers because if you, it's not a good enough excuse to say, oh, but I didn't realize. So Mm. if you're keeping an eye on your numbers, and this might be something you do every month or every quarter, you're going to realize if you go over that magic amount of, I think it's $75,000. And once you realize you're going to go over that during the year, that's when you have to register for GST. Um, So at that point you want to register. And this is the uncomfortable part where at that point you also need to essentially put your prices up. So it might be if I'm I'm a fan of you might register before you get there because if you're going to have to put your prices up anyway, then you may as well do it and and be able to explain the value on it. Mm. Because if you're trying to say to your target audience, oh, I have to register for GST, therefore my prices are going up by 10%, they don't care. They see that as your problem. So you may as well start to get that uh, price build up started to be built in so that when you need to register for GST, it's already there and you're already used to putting that tax aside in another bank account. Yeah, nice. I like it. What about investing, Mel? So we've talked a little bit about, Mm. um, I guess, getting our business finances in, in check. We've talked a little bit about super and also, um, GST, but is it enough to rely on super? Oh God, no. (laughs) Uh, So for me, I never want to be at the mercy of one thing, which we saw when COVID hit. Too many people were, it was just their business or it was just their wage, uh, which meant that when that lever turned off, that's it. Mm. And I see too many people, their house that they'll own and super and that's it. And we know super rules can change and you can't eat your house meaning unless you're willing to bring in a border, get a reverse mortgage or sell it, I can't make money from it. Yeah. So we want to make sure we've got multiple streams of income, which for me means investing. So, yes, we want to uh, contribute to super, but we also want to build wealth outside of super. Um, And the three ways, the three main ways we do that is through our businesses, through shares and through property. But it's making sure we're doing it in all those different areas so that we've got that multiple income streams. And we don't need um, a lot of people, more and more women have started investing in shares since COVID, which I've loved. Uh, And women were the the biggest uh, take up of of share investors uh, in the last two years, which again is super exciting. But it is realising that it's a skill. So it's learning how to invest. But also understanding uh, you it's the great equaliser. You don't mm. need a lot of money. You don't need tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars for a deposit. 
you can do it with as little as 20 bucks a week uh, if you really wanted to. The 20 bucks a week feels like such a small amount that so many people just go, don't, you know, it's the the lowest thing on their list. Can you share some of your um, numbers on what that means in terms of compounding interest? Absolutely. I think that's a good motivation. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, And I will bring up uh, my, uh, given that my brain is still not working properly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let me bring up and I'll give you some examples. So if you invested 20 bucks a day, for 30 years. 20 bucks a day? Average, 20 bucks a day. So for that's 140 a week. week. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll do a few different uh, things. And you can, cool. if anyone who wants to check my ad, we've got lots of uh, calculators on our website. So 20 bucks a day over 30 years at 8%. And you might think 8% is a lot, but the average share market return in Australia is 9.8. So it's actually not. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to, I feel like I need to drum roll before I say this, <laughs> that's going to bring in over $900,000 after 30 years. So 20 bucks a day, uh, that's, you know, that's lunch uh, yeah. if you're going out and buying that. There's, it's really easy to figure out where could I find this. So it sounds like a lot, but it's actually not. Or if we do smaller amounts, so $200 a month, so that's mm-hmm. a lot more palatable. Yep. 200 bucks a month or 50 bucks a week over 30 years at 8%, that's almost $300,000. Versus just say I use exactly that same amount of money, but instead of doing 200 bucks a month because I went, you know what, that's not worth it. I'm going to wait till I pay off my house and I've got a bit more money. So just say I did 600 bucks a month over 10 years because I waited till I paid off my house at 8%, that's going to give me $100,000 versus mm. 300,000. And that's uh that is the power of compound interest. Yeah. Where it's starting with small amounts today versus waiting till I know what to do or waiting till I've got more to invest. Sure, at start now and then as you have more, add more. But for me, the real takeaway that I want people to hear is to start small today. Yeah, and I think that obviously if we're talking to mums, they're thinking about kids as well. So if you think about setting your kids up, you yes. know, so many parents are worried about their kids' financial future and mm-hmm. that just puts it into a such a, you know, by the time your child is 30 or 40, like obviously, well, hopefully you'd hand it over to them prior that. But if you mm-hmm. a condition of handover was, well, no, you need to continue to, to add to this yourself, then that's yeah. a huge, like that's a, a deposit or, you know, yeah, I mean, imagine being able to at age thirty say here's a million dollars, and you oh. could you might say I don't have twenty bucks um, a, a day, but you might say to grandparents and to different ones, you know what they have so much, get them something tiny that's mm. worth no more than twenty bucks for their birthday and Christmases, and then give us cash for the rest, and that cash we're going to put towards this, which means that we'll have the equivalent of that. If you did that for 30 years, I mean, that's a million bucks that you're giving your kids. That's and a revelation. because an extraordinary amount. Yeah. And so many people now are saying my kids are never going to be able to buy a house. And it's like, yep. well, actually, if you they do this now. If, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. 200, uh, 200 bucks a month over 30 years. So yeah. That's, that's talking to everyone and saying, hey, 
uh, cash, not presents, or saying for yourselves, saying this is what we're going to put aside, 300K. I mean, that's an amazing uh, amount to go it's towards huge. something as well. Absolutely. Mm. Um, so a couple of business questions. We had another one, and I just want to make sure I get this question right. So the question oh, was from Lisa, if she's listening, um, was she's running a, a small fitness business. What percentage profit per year growth should she be aiming for? And I think profit might be the wrong word, maybe net income, and then you've got to figure out your own profit. <laughs> yeah, so the answer is it depends. So essentially she's saying how much to, should I be growing each yes. year? Yes, yeah. Uh, and the answer is it depends. So what yeah. we want to always be doing is growing because if we're not, then we're going backwards. So if you atrophy, if you decide, you know what, I'm happy to stay at $100,000, I don't want to grow, because of inflation, in five years' time, that hundred thousand is potentially only worth ninety thousand mm-hmm. dollars because of in uh, because the cost of of money is more expensive. So we want to make sure we're growing. So I would say, at the very least, we want to grow with inflation, and inflation runs about two and a quarter percent per year on average. So at the very least, we want that. But it's really sitting down and saying to you, well, what do I want? Because I might look at Lisa's business and go, oh, my gosh, you could grow 10 20% easy every year. But she might go, but I don't want that. Mm. So it's sitting down and answering that question for yourself around actually what business do I want? What profit do I want? How quickly do I want to get there? And then that then brings you to the answer around how much do I want to grow it? Uh, when With my accounting business for a while, I remember when I decided, had some really significant growth part, uh, targets. And we decided we wanted it 50% uh, every single year wow. for five years. Um, and we we did it because we just put in place activities. We, we monitored our results uh, consistently. Uh, we looked as much at retention as we did at average sale. Um, and for us, that was so doable. Um, now it's a really, like, it, I know the argument is it's a really tough market. Uh, from last year to this year, we've grown by 25% mm-hmm. um, in money in an area where you would argue that it's probably a bit of a grudge purchase and not something people necessarily want to spend money on. Um, and our, we've got significant growth targets for the next two years. So I think it really depends on what you want out of your business. Um, but you definitely want to be at least in line with inflation. Yeah, I like that answer. And also making sure that that you know the the net income is well that your profit is growing with that income absolutely yes you want to look at your sales and your net profit because if your sales are growing but your net profit's going backwards which happens in a lot of businesses as they start to bloat and take on more and more Mm -hmm. expenses Um, and that can also happen so if you're a, a business before you take on staff so if you take on uh, staff, your business profit's going to go backwards potentially the next year. So it's realizing that sometimes it's appropriate for it to go back to go backwards during growth uh, stages, but you never want to stay there. Yeah, I think I spend a lot of time with um, fitness businesses that have tried to grow by bringing on contractors, but mm. then they actually all they've done is eat into the money that they take home, they put on more classes, the classes don't get full yeah. and it just becomes this, you know, shit show that is completely out of alignment with their values or maybe they were trying mm. to get in alignment by growing and then removing themselves from the business a bit and then it just becomes yeah. they're better off 
doing it on their own, taking more holidays, having more boundaries, knowing their capacity of their classes and really filling them up um, mm. than trying yeah. to, yeah. And maybe having, uh, looking, saying, I don't want contractors to run classes, but I'm going to look at other ways for my clients to engage with me uh, where it's not going to involve a contractor, but they can still purchase um, and it's not going to be reliant on my time. What would your, I mean, I know we talked about online programs there, but she, Lisa also mm. did um, ask Mel her, her small business hacks. So maybe that's a good segue <laughs> into, into that. <laughs> small business hacks. I think you've got to keep your eye on the, your numbers. If you, if you don't have your eye on your numbers, you've got to have goals. If you don't have goals, then what are you actually aiming for? In which case it's just going to be average and um my one of my hacks is I always uh, just say we have a target had a target of a hundred thousand dollars. I would never aim for a hundred. I'd aim for two or even five, hmm. and ask the question: Well, what would what would I need to be doing to reach two or five? Because often that hundred becomes a ceiling that we put in place for us, and by putting two and five in place, it's just usually you figure out it. Uh, you either need to do a different type of activity. Or you aim for that and often you shoot past that ceiling target that you had in place. So one of the big hacks Lawsy and I consistently use is to always move our target or 10 times our target and say, all right, instead of a million bucks, what if we went for 10 mil? What would that look like? Um, and so that's, uh, that's a fun one that I use consistently. I like that. It's funny because you can very easily, if you don't set the bar high, you can very easily just lower it and lower it and just go, oh, I'll yeah. just be happy with that. I'll just be happy with that. So it's almost totally. like you've got to set it up there before you allow yourself to bring it back down anyway. Yeah. Our current one is what if it was 10 mil and I only worked 15 hours a week? I love that. What would that business look like? And it doesn't mean you're going to get there, but you're going to get to a very different business than if you went, what does a million look like? Because then that's just going to be more of the same. Yeah. So yeah. it's asking those, for me, it's always asking those uh, creative questions. Another one, a question I really like is um, what would kill my company? So, and we all know COVID, uh, but mm -hmm. to sit down and go, well, uh, what could happen that would destroy my company tomorrow? And then to go and do whatever uh, that can then put in place strategies for you to strengthen it. Yeah. Or to ask the, the opposite question and say, if I was to start another version of my company up tomorrow, what would I do instead? And often you'll come up with things that annoy you now. You're like, oh, I'd never do this. I'd never do this. I'd never do that. And then go and do that in your business. Yeah. Um, so we used, to, we used to do those provocative questions every single year with my accounting firm. And we still we do it with each business now. Um, and it always brings that really creative energy uh, to your business. I love that. And there's so many, yeah, I mean, all that stands out for me with, no, not all, a big thing that stands out for me with a lot of the businesses that I work with is glass ceiling after glass ceiling uh, after yeah. glass ceiling. So I love the concept of just blowing that up and yeah. going, you know what, you actually get to dream bigger than you are. And because you're staying at home with your kids now and you feel like it's a bit of a hobby, like let's just not know that that's your season right now, but you've got the mm. rest of your life in front of you um, yeah. and dream big. But to ask the question, so if I was only wanting to put 15 hours of my time into this business, yep. but I wanted to earn, how could I earn $100,000 with only 15 hours? 
And so there your answer around the sort of business that you're going to have with that is going to be very different than a time traded business. Yeah. Um, so it's thinking about like uh, for me it's um, thinking about the end goal, like who would this be sold to, who would who would take this over, but also what sort of business do I ultimately want to be running because that's the sort of activity I need to be putting in place to make yeah. sure uh, that you don't accidentally end up with a business that you hate just because you think that that's the business that you should be growing it to. Yeah, I like that. We talk a lot about making sure that you, they grow their business in alignment with their whole life values, not just the yes. business values because it's so easy to that. create a business that is, seems successful from a financial perspective or from a an outsider looking in, but it puts them in complete mm. con- conflict with their kids and their you know their family and their own health and fitness. Um, yeah, you just said something and I wanted to circle back, but it's gone. That's okay. It'll come back to me. Um, if somebody, I've got just a few more questions. Um, if their business has stalled, Mm. And we have talked about different products and things like that. What would be the first thing that you would look at from a financial sense? So I'd look at why. Is it economic conditions? So I'd look at the micro and the macro. So is it is it economic conditions as to why it's stalled? Um, have I priced myself out of the market? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, is there a reason that something has happened? Is there a competitor that's entered my industry? Um, or is it just that I've saturated with the niche that I've chosen and actually I need to go to another niche? So I'd look at, at those conditions first. But then I'd look at what I was doing and decide, well, is, is, have the people just heard um, uh, everything that I, like is, have I saturated with the message that I've uh, been taking or are there things that there are other things that I should be talking about, or maybe it's still because all I've been doing is trying to find new customers, but I haven't actually been loving my existing ones. So my business has become like a leaky bucket mm-hmm. where I'm losing customers and having to fill them. Um, and I think sometimes businesses stall because we get to these different levels in business that it's quite not easy to get to, but we can't, we can rely on passion to some respect to get us to a certain point in business. But at that point, I would argue that to remove that stalling, we've got to understand the numbers side of the business. You know, we've got to understand leads, conversion, retention rate, average sale, um, number of times your customers do business with you, profit, like all of those things can't just be words. We actually have to be great at business so that we know the levers that we pull. That's not just a marketing lever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last kind of, I don't want to end on this question, so I need to finish finish with another one, but what are the biggest mistakes either you've made or you've seen other small businesses make um either in business or in in finances uh one big mistake for me is definitely taking my eyes off the numbers and it's really easy for an accountant to do it because I just think well but I know this and every time I take my eye off it is when my business uh, suffers because of it yeah so that would be a mistake another mistake um is just momentum so there've been seasons such as my husband was really unwell last year where I just took my foot off the off the pedal. Um, I took my eyes off the numbers and I'm really comfortable that I did it, but it highlighted that my business was too reliant on me and I needed to put more processes and people in place so that it wasn't. 
Mm. Um, but the third thing that was there has been a huge mistake consistently in my businesses is not backing myself enough and not uh, starting earlier enough. Uh, and there's been so many instances where I'm a great uh, implementer. So I'll create something and then I'll just put it aside and go on to the next instead of sticking with it and really pushing it and going, okay, what's the possibility for what this could actually be? And I'm convinced the success of what I'm doing now is because I've stuck with it. Um, I haven't diverted from the message. I haven't diverted from this is what I'm an expert in. I've just kept going and going. And even if I've been a bit bored with it, it's like, yep, but people aren't bored with it yet. They still need it. So don't get diverted with bright, shiny. Just stick with it. (laughs) I love that because we do so much. And I speak to so many exercise professionals are like, well, I'm doing this and it's working. And now it's this thing or it's doing Mm -hmm. this and it's not working quite as well as I would like it to be. So now I'm going to create this program and this program and this program or, and I have to say, I'm definitely guilty of that myself. So I'm spending this year finishing off. I've got two or three projects that They've been there for a long time, but I've done exactly that. Like I created a free program for mums and I've got like I know the the, the potential that it has with the right partnerships, but I've not executed mm-hmm. the partnerships because I've gone on to do yes. something else. So, yep. it, yeah. So it's yep. finishing those things Absolutely. rather than just going on to the next. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, to finish on a positive, and I don't know if you can think about this off, off the top of your head, can you think of mm. a small business owner that you've worked with that mm. has made some changes and the potential outcomes that they've had that might inspire other small business owners, specifically fitness business owners listening to mm. get their shit together? <laughs> oh, my gosh, I can think of so many. Uh, but I'm thinking of uh, – so I've got three examples that immediately came to awesome. mind. So uh, one was a creative business, so she was a – um, like a graphic design agency and she was super smart but kept saying to me no I'm not just not a numbers person Mel I'm not a numbers person and I said if you put your creativity into your numbers you will absolutely smash it uh, and we came we sat down together uh, and we had a plan that we wanted to double a business in 12 months by understanding her numbers creative design industry took her 12 months and she doubled a business wow And this was probably close to the GFC, so it was quite tough. Um, But she did it by all of those numbers that I was talking about. She moved them by less than 10%. Hmm. Uh, So that was was a huge one. Had another one, which was a tradie, where they were about a $15 million business, but their profit was about 2%. And that's that thing around you can grow, but are you growing profitably? So we put everyone in their business they had a target of 30% profitability. And if I walked into their business and said to the uh, the apprentice, what's your target? He'd go 30%. Like everyone knew their target. Uh, And they didn't want to grow anymore until they increased their profit. They never hit 30, but they hit 22. And if we're talking 15 million or whatever the business was doing, it's a massive increase. Yeah. Massive. Like we're talking a million bucks plus. Um, and the third one is a beautiful skincare business, which is at retail stores and has been around for a long time. And, and I remember saying to them, why aren't you talking to your customers more? Like, why aren't you email marketing? And I think email marketing is one of the most forgotten mm-hmm. markets. 
And what they were doing is very much finding new customers and not retention rate for their existing customers. And I said to them, and when I talked to her about going and talking to their existing customers, and she said, but I don't have anything really to talk to them about. I said, well, talk to them about that. Trust me, your pro- your customers don't know all your products because they don't care as much as you. But also talk to them about how they might use them and the ingredients that are in them. You've got so much to talk about. And every time she did, uh, her boost in sales was substantial to the point where today that's simply a strategy that they have an email strategy now of three times a week an email will go out and their sales get boosted as a result. So email is such a cheap, free version of marketing and so many businesses aren't don't mm. have a retention strategy. Um, so there are three different examples where all three businesses went back to their numbers picked there were different numbers for each business yep and by concentrating on them and the activity they needed to do they all substantially increased their business i love it and i specifically love the email one because it's so relevant to trainers and when you were saying that it's almost like you know you work your ass off to get someone's email address and then Mm -hmm. you just chuck it in a bin then you unless they buy from you instantly you're like I don't care about you. And it's, yep. there are some statistics and I can't remember them, but people need something like seven to 11 touch seven. points, mm-hmm. seven touch points before they even, before they buy from you anyway. Yeah. So. And yeah. the seven touch points in amongst the noise that we currently have around uh, marketing. So I think we need far more than seven, but we mm. want them. Uh, I think we think that we're annoying our, our, cust- our, our, people by by spamming their inbox but if they've given us their their email they want to hear from us so it's kind of being rude by it's like going at it's like you were at a bar you've asked someone out they've given you their number and you're like well I'm just gonna hope that they just show up on a date with me no (laughs) you're gonna text them you're gonna start a conversation so you want to start a conversation with your customers yeah and hold the conversation yeah yes absolutely yeah yeah. you want to woo them absolutely um Mel, you shared lots with us and I know you've got lots of other resources and things that that people listening might want to get their hands on. Do you, have you got anything you'd like to share or where you want to, how they can find out more about you, come find you, follow you? Yeah, we'll, we'll give you a link with lots of different ways that you can try everything from like maybe a pricing masterclass and, and more. Yeah. And um, that way if you want help with either your business or your personal finances, you can just go to that one link and then Amazing. you can find me from there. Or come play with me on Insta. I have lots and lots of free stuff. Great there stuff. Great at posts. Melbrown.money. <laughs> and uh, just just so everyone knows about, you've talked a lot about your course. What? Mm. Just so that they know what it is. Tell us a little yeah, bit about so that. It's called yeah. the My Financial Adulting Plan. Uh, I run it three times a year. It's an eight week course that runs for twelve weeks with a membership off the back of it, and you will learn how to do money in a way that works for you, um, mm-hmm. including creating your very own financial plan, which you would pay a financial planner three and a half grand for uh we're incredibly proud of it we've had extraordinary results uh from uh you know more than three million uh invested in shares uh from our whole group uh, investment properties bought debt paid back and like real life-changing tangible results mm. um, so if you're looking to do something different with your finances or when i'm talking about investing if you're like oh i don't i don't know 
where to start with that, then come and check out our program. Uh, we open the doors again in, we've got some free training in August, some really cool free training. And then September, we open our doors. Yeah. And I can vouch, Ben and I went through the course and I can't say that we've actioned everything, but we've actioned some things. Um, mm. And it's a beautiful course on the inside and it's a really easy um, to follow along Uh I guess at your own pace, but staying with the weeks and get yeah. that information that you just want to ask those questions if you don't know where to start. Or the biggest thing that I wanted to understand more was the investing. So that that was really helpful. Oh, yep. good. I love Fantastic. Awesome. Mm. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have a chat. And oh, you're so welcome. Yeah, I look forward to chatting with you soon. Thanks, Mel. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being with us for this episode today. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure to have one more conversation that takes us closer to our goal of safe and effective exercise for all women at every stage of motherhood. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please make sure you hit follow wherever you listen to your podcast and rate and review so more people can join us next time. For further information about anything we've talked about in this episode, head to gendugard.com forward slash podcast. And if you want to connect with me in person, I would love to hear from you over at my Instagram at gendugard. Thank you for your voice in this space. Have a beautiful day.